love your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we are um, at 1 Corinthians eleven seventeen, and this is where we're going to be talking about the Lord's Supper. Uh, not that this is, I don't want to draw too many conclusions from this, but I think it's interesting that one of the, the least uh, liked passages of Scripture, the one on head coverings, is in the same chapter as one of the ones that we use all the time which is uh, the Lord's Supper. We're always quoting it, you know, and using it. So uh, I just think the, what does uh, C.S. Lewis say uh, uh, about Aslan? He is not a tame God, and uh, the Word of God is not tame either. It uh, has its difficult sections. So um, let's see. Uh, Bar- Barry, can you get the microphone and maybe hand it to Mark Swartz? Uh, and it, either you or Joe, if you wouldn't mind reading verses 17 to 22 of chapter 11, um, that would be great. But in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, why is it there are divisions among you? And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you, in order that those who are genuine among you may be reconciled. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat, for in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in, or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you on this? No, I will not. Thank you. So if you remember 1 Corinthians, uh, the early chapters were definitely talking about divisions. I follow Paul, I follow Apollos. Those divisions were a big part of it. And it seems like something similar may not be the exact same divisions, but some sort of divisions are occurring even as they partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, He says at the very beginning... Uh, I can't commend you in this. And this is a contrast with what occurred at the beginning of the chapter where he says, I do commend you. So he could commend them in following him early in the chapter, for the most part, but then in this part of the chapter, he can't can't say anything good about them. That's how bad this is. So um, what is it that he's upset about? What is it that he's upset about? Yeah, so you have the Lord's Supper, and they are uh, treating it. I don't know if it's just like any other supper, but they're treating it wrongly in some way. Um, Yeah, so there's no uh, uh, all. Are not eating together. So like some, some are be you know getting a, a more than they need, and others aren't getting any. It's going on in 
this is a little bit hard to understand this with our practice because it's not it's impossible for you to do this when we take communion right <laughs> so what do you what do you know probably studied this at some point um try to paint a picture of what communion was like for them in their day um that's different than us anybody can try this Well, there's definitely a preferential treatment. Um, right, so there's, yeah, so this is the big deal. The Lord's Supper was, um, a lot of times it was called an agape feast. And it was a whole meal. So you had a whole meal that people provided. Um, so... And as a part of the whole meal, there was a there was a portion of the meal that was carved out as uh, the Lord's Supper, which is similar to the Passover meal. It was a full meal that was going on, and then a portion of that was used as the the Lord's Supper. Um, does anybody know what happened to the agape feast? Very, very few people, churches, practice this today. They do have a love feast. Okay, good. I didn't even know that. That's great. What, what are they doing that, Lee? Uh-huh. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Okay. 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 Um, but anybody historically know what happened to the love feast? Basically, the church just said, we can't fix this. We try to have a love feast, and it just doesn't work. <laughs> and so they basically just did away with the love feast, uh, which is a strange thing. There's not a command in Scripture to do a love feast, but there is mention of it um, uh, this agape feast, and, and it's obviously what was going on here in Corinthians. But really, within the first uh, two centuries, it's gone. Nobody does it. And so what's put in place is more like what we have today, or, you know, where you just get this little token uh, of the bread. So, so it's kind of hard to envision our practice of communion. That's all I'm trying to get at. It's really hard for us to just envision this, but you can envision a potluck dinner, right, and you bring your food to the potluck dinner, and, you know, again, we have kind of a um, time where, like, everybody's got to be there, all the food's laid out, we wait, till, you know, and then we have the prayer uh, of a potluck, and then then you partake, right? I mean, and there is some difference between those who are first in line and those who are last in line, you know, but, but for the most part, even at potlucks, there's not really a question of whether you're going to get enough to eat, right? I mean, happens occasionally, but, but you, if you can imagine people showing up, not all at the exact same time, and then they just go ahead and start the meal without you, and, and then, um, 
you know, there's none left over. Well, sorry, you're too late. You got here late. You don't get any. And you can imagine that the um, someone, maybe the poorest, would be the ones that would get there later because they might be slaves. You know, they might have to, couldn't even get to where they be free to, to come to the meeting till later. And so uh, some of the people have, uh, you know, bring their food. They have enough and they just, they eat it all. And then the people that come a little bit later don't get anything. So that's kind of the, the situation that's going on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're right. No, I agree with you. And we do. We get this from the book of 1 Corinthians. Mind you, like our practice of how to do the Lord's Supper really comes from Paul's exhortation here. So uh, there's a reason why that occurred like that. Up until this time, I think, it was much more fluid. It wasn't as, uh, um, you know, ordered maybe. Um, and, and I think Paul actually helps us to, to understand what God wants in the Lord's Supper. Like what he wants out of it. So, um, Paul goes so far as to saying that if you have this mentality where you're you're not really thinking about all of the church, all God's people. If you are just focusing on a portion of the church, he goes so far as to say it's not what? He actually says it here. That you are not eating. You're not eating the Lord's Supper. Um, and so whatever we think in, about the Lord's Supper, we, it really needs to be for all the church, all the body of Christ. Um, The disciples feed. Mm -hmm. Yes. Now, um, um, you very well said, Melissa. That's that's excellent. That, but when you hear remembrance of me, and this is. Um, you added to it washing the disciples' feet and, and like inclusion of the whole, all the disciples in it, even, even Judas was a you know, part of this. But you, if you just had remembrance of me, you could think, just remember the death of Christ. Are you following me there? Like, like remembrance what I've done for you as an individual. You brought in some of the body aspects but that's what was being forgotten at this portion, right? They were forgetting that the body of Christ 
was not just his death on the cross, but it was the church is the body of Christ. And so, um, and basically says that if you're not thinking about the whole body of Christ in partaking of communion, it's not really communion. Okay? So what's a, what is um, a difference between the Presbyterian and usually most Protestants, but particularly it's been clearly set down in our, in our uh, Book of Church order, um, that is a direct contrast with the Catholic understanding of the Mass. So, and I'll just explain, have a private Mass in Catholicism. You know, John wants to have communion by himself. You can call the priest in, the priest can give communion to just John. Um, it's forbidden for us to do that. Like, we're not allowed to do that. We have, uh, at times, um, taken communion to people in their homes, sick ends. But what do we do when we do that? Take elders with you, even invite others in the church. We usually try to do it right after a worship service so that it's really an extension of the worship service. Um, yeah, you, I try to take a, a short, this is hard for you to believe, but if you want, a, if you want a, a five-minute sermon from me, go to a communion that's in somebody's home. I'll take the 40-minute sermon and scrunch it down to five. Um, but but it, is, it does happen. And it, uh, and so, and then you have like the word of God read, and you know it's clear that this is the body of Christ as a whole that they're being served. It's not just a private mass. We're trying to take seriously this passage of scripture. Now, another aspect. Okay, Leanne. So, like, yeah, the, the VCs want to have communion all by themselves. Clay's the head of the family. Why doesn't Clay just go ahead and have communion? Uh, and, and precedent would be that in the, um, in the uh, Passover, it was kept in their homes, individual homes, right? So this is a slight distinction. It's like you're coming together, not just an individual family, but you're coming together as the body of Christ, and that is where you can partake of communion. Um, so... Another aspect of this that, that we uh, do is that uh, we think it's forbidden for us to just have a Presbyterian or a faith Presbyterian church communion. So that the only people that can take communion are those who are members of faith Presbyterian church. And we're, because we believe that the body of Christ is bigger than faith Presbyterian church. That's one of the reasons why we... We have what's called an open communion, that if a visitor comes, and we'll talk about in a little bit how that has to be balanced with, um, you know, examination of yourself and different things, and we'll talk about that later. But, but this idea of all is the primary function of why Paul is so mad at them and says that they're not keeping communion. They're not doing the Lord's Supper. Um, Interestingly enough, before he goes more into this, he actually says, hmm, yeah, I think there really are divisions among you. And why does he think there really are divisions among them? Very strange statement that he makes here. Because he's heard about these divisions. What is it that makes him... 
Isn't that amazing? That's like, I, yeah, I think there's probably divisions among you because there has to be divisions among you or we're not going to know who the true Christians are. It's a strange kind of way to talk about this, isn't it? He's basically saying that God has sovereignly allowed divisions within the church so that you could know who are the true believers. I don't know if you can find me another eraser, but this one was terrible. It's not erasing anything. Thanks, Nathan. Um, so, um, you use your hand. <laughs> I should just do this. <laughs> I'm just so happy that the back section gave a comment that I, I, I'll try it. <laughs> um, again, I think that this, I, I'm big on talking about tensions, but it is a real tension that we always are dealing with. On the one hand, Communion should be the thing that actually unites everybody in the body of Christ together. On the other hand, you have to have divisions. Like, like there is a distinction between those who are the true church and those who are not the true church. And people who have erred and gone astray. And so this importance of, of holding to the truths uh, of the gospel um, you can't just say everybody who has ever met to have communion is having communion. He basically says that doesn't happen. You're not having communion because you're not doing it correctly. Right? So we can say that there's that doctrines divide or that there are divisions within the church, but there's nothing that we're going to do that's going to completely get rid of them. So we have this tension that we have to have between upholding the truth and, and um, trying to include everybody. And it's not an easy thing. Oh, that looks terrible. Uh, Yes. All right. So this could be a, this is a travesty here. I hope this, <laughs> you guys can work on that if you want, but I'm going to teach without it. <laughs> um, okay. Um, so. One of the things that you need to understand from this is that if this was just any other meal, Paul wouldn't be so concerned about it. It is, it is a meal that Jesus has instituted. It is important. It has um, ceremonial, symbolic value in this, and it matters how you partake of it. It's not something that you can just make it up on your own, do whatever you want, because the Corinthians were doing that, and Paul says, you've gone so far, it's not even communion anymore. Okay. Um, yeah, you're, you're jumping ahead. I mean, you're absolutely right, uh, and that's where we're heading with this. But I think that... Um, I just want to establish right now 
a lot of times people just think, oh, I can just do communion any t- way I want. I want to do it in my home, I can do it. I want to do it this way, that way, it doesn't really matter. And Paul's just saying there are ways to take communion that Jesus is not, he says it's worse than if you didn't take it at all. Right? That's the statement. Um, how does he say it? He says, uh, Oh, you found it. Good. Thank you. Um, anyway, it says he will not, he will not. Oh, there it is in verse 17. Um, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So just that in itself should give you pause. So in our church, we don't have any, uh, we're actually, we are uh, freer to baptize someone than we are to give them admittance to communion. And we'll explain that a little bit more as we go on. Communion is an important thing that you have to do it in such a way that, that it is for the better and not for the worse. So, uh, let's see. In verse 22, what do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God? So uh, he's basically saying communion is not for your personal hunger. Now in our day, we know that completely because we take a little, you know, little chunk. Nobody's going to get filled off of that. But, um, but the idea is it's, it's, communion is not just to satiate your physical hunger that you have. It, and in so doing... You can actually despise the church of God. You can have disdain for this body of Christ that, that Ken's moving us to think about. Uh, and you can humiliate those who have nothing. So one of the things in communion is to try, to try to build up the church. But if you're doing it in such a way that it's actually causing some people to feel ignored and left out, that's a bad thing. All right, no comments necessarily right now, but if you have a question about just those, those 17 through 22, I'd be glad to entertain questions on that before we move on. Yeah. folks um they just stay at home and they you know don't particularly are part of a body mm-hmm. and they just uh believe that you know they th- of course you know god is getting away but you know that they can do church there on their own and yes yeah i mean this is the fact that god has instituted one of his sacraments to be done only in the body of believers coming together certainly should be a lesson to you that you should be connected to the body, period. Yes. And to isolate yourself is going against God's command. You are not supposed to isolate yourself from the rest of the body of Christ. 
Well, what they're doing is you have the whole church of God and people are just taking this portion of it. And so there's, they're, they're like wanting this portion to be blessed while forgetting the rest of it. And when you do that, you're despising the rest of the body of Christ. Um, Yeah, so yeah, that's that could be an attitude of trying to promote just yourself. I'm more important than others. Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. Let's read 23 to 26. Uh, who would like to read? Barry, I'll take the mic to you. If you're just raise your hand and there you go, Jim will read. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And we, when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body for which is for you. This, do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Okay, so first off, Jesus, I mean, Paul ties the uh, sacrament of communion to the night when Jesus was betrayed. So he, he connects it to the Lord's Supper. And um, in that night, I just want to give you kind of some uh, facts that were going on. Uh, Jesus and his disciples were facing the injustice of a corrupt Roman Empire. Think about your own life. Do you think that there's corrupt politics all around you? Um, Jesus and the disciples were facing the betrayal among, uh, among their closest friends. Like even his friends left him. So you, you, have, you have global problems surrounding you, political problems. You have, you have just relationship problems, people right next to you. Okay, The disciples would soon face the loss of their beloved leader. Right, Jesus is going to be taken away from them. They would soon be feeling alone and abandoned in the world. Anybody relate to that? What is Jesus' solution to all these problems? What, it, remember me, but... Oh, you know what I think I'm going to do to help you? I'm going to institute the sacrament of communion. Think about that. Think about your value of communion. How much you think communion is helpful to you. In your daily problems, in your struggles, the world conflicts all around you. Do you think that communion is your solution? That's right. So yes, the hope, um, much of communion is about our hope in the return of Christ. So, so the, a reminder of the solution, there's no, no doubt, and the solution I'm assuming you're thinking is the death of Christ. Yeah. Well, there's no doubt. Why doesn't he just say, remember, remember my death? He institutes the sacrament of communion. That's my focus on this. 
In other words, Jesus thinks that you practicing this as a whole body of believers is the most beneficial thing you can do to help you continue to have hope until he returns. He's promoting unity in the body. He is promoting reminder of his death. But I'm just telling you that there is, Jesus expects this to be far more beneficial than what we get out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now think about this. We got problems in the politi- in the political world. Does Jesus form a political action committee? I'm just trying to make a contrast between between what he gives us in the sacrament of communion and what he might have given us. I think that's great. Yeah, I mean, that the fact that he's, he's doing it in a, well, he could have instituted, I guess, during the, the, the time between his resurrection and the, and the um, but he doesn't. You're right. That's really good. Um, does he set out a strategy for how the disciples will protest against the evils of the world? Does he give some strategy for how to fix the world? He gives them a sacrament that would lead the disciples to faith in him and would lead them to accept the unity of the whole body of Christ. Um, Yes? I find it interesting, something that I've not noticed before. It looks like he is bookending the meal with the Lord's Supper. Um, when he gave thanks, he broke the bread and said, this is my body. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it says, he also took the cup after supper, mm-hmm. saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Mm-hmm. So it looks like he started the meal by breaking the bread, this is my body, and then after they ate, they had the wine. So it doesn't that seemed like it happens exactly like we do it with the bread and wine immediately after each other. Now, you, you know, it's funny that you say this because one of the things that's moving through our denomination now and a lot of denominations is intinction. Um, and intinction is where you dip the bread into the wine and you take it. And I don't know that, that you want to make this too big of a deal, but the argument against doing that is that the the bread and the wine are separated even in the meal here, that they're, they're two separate elements and not just mixing them together in one. Uh, so I, I'm not out on a crusade against intinction, but I am happy with keeping them separate. So um, here's what I want you to get. The sacrament of communion makes clear that your deepest and truest need is fellowship with Jesus Christ and fellowship with the rest of the church. That's what you need. That's what Jesus says. He says, you want to be able to make it through this world? Get there until the day when I return? Well, you need to stay focused on Christ and his death on the cross for you, and you need to stay in fellowship with the body of Christ. 
That's what communion tells us. It, it does have double meaning. Yes. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, that, and that's partly our fault because if we would read the beginning of the chapter when we did, gave communion, you would see that it's talking about the church. So I think both are in view. I think the, the actual body of Christ is in view, but I think the church is the body of Christ as well, both of those. And I think that's a big part of communion, okay? Now, the ceremony itself gives us at least three basic truths, all right? Um, the ceremony gives us at least three basic truths. The ceremony portrays the covenant relationship that we have with God through Jesus Christ. In other words, the, the picture that you're, that you're uh, witnessing, that you're seeing in the act of communion is actually portraying the covenant relationship that you have with, with God through Jesus Christ. This is why Jesus says this is the new covenant in my blood, right? It's that covenant relationship. I would also say that, secondly... That participation in the ceremony itself is a renewal of your faith. Okay, so every time you partake of communion, it is done as a renewal of your faith in Christ Jesus. This is what it means to be done in remembrance of Him. You're not just remembering back to some historical event, you're actually continuing to place your faith into Christ as you partake of it. Okay? Um, and thirdly, I would say that Jesus has promised to impart grace to his people through their participation in the ceremony. In other words, it's supposed to be helpful to you in your faith. If it's not helpful to you, Jesus wouldn't have instituted it. If you could do it in some other way, and he'd be happy with that, then yeah, do it however you want. Just remember Jesus. Tie a ribbon around your, your pinky finger. You know, do, wear a t-shirt that says, by the blood of Christ. You know, he says, no, you want to remember Christ, you want to constantly be placing your faith back into Christ, then you should partake of communion. Okay? That's, that's how important this is. Um, These verses tell us that the symbols, okay, we usually say communion is a sign and a seal, okay? As a sign, I like to, to explain this, that like, what you believe communion means is like a, like a cup, okay? And you have to put meaning 
into the cup. That makes sense. And um, and, and, the, and your idea of communion fills up um, as you put this in. Communion is a sign. Okay, one of the things that I laugh about with my kids when they were young, I used to, I don't know where I started getting this, but that you know, if they would catch me gliding through a stop sign, right? Now there's one stop sign I'm confident that I'm allowed to glide through, and that's at the end of Boss Road when you turn right to go to Piedmont. Uh, that that's one that you just glide through. If I ever get a ticket there, I'm just going to laugh. But I mean, maybe I do. But anyway. Uh, but I've glided through other stop signs that I shouldn't have glided through. So, but my kids would say, Dad, you didn't stop. You didn't come to a complete stop at that stop sign. And I'd say, oh, did you see the line around it? This little white line around the stop sign? That little white line means that it's more like a yield. You didn't know that? Of course, they figured out very quickly because Robin's going, come on. You know, anyway, but they figured, but, but. Who's to say that that's not what the white line means? Unless you go to the DMV and they tell you and you look at the guidebook and it says. It's funny, we were in Pittsburgh and I saw a stop sign that instead of the white line, it might have had the white line, but they basically had flashing lights all around the outside of it. I'd never seen that before. And I said, boy, maybe all stop signs are optional. Only the ones with the flashing lights are the ones you have to stop at. Right? But if you just have a, 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 you know, an octagonal sign, you know, and it has the word stop, you, you can turn whatever you want into that meaning. So, so what you put into the meaning is what the shape of communion is. Are you following this now? Now, what do we usually say then? That you can't take communion you can't give communion like i took vows that i'm not even allowed to give communion unless the meaning of christ and his death and resurrection and the body of christ unless that is actually properly spoken about in the service right because if you don't have that if you detach communion from the actual meaning of the gospel you can make it mean whatever you want and in this section here, Paul gives us in 23 to 27, he gives you some very important, although very abbreviated, but he gives you some very important truths that you have to proclaim in communion. What are those? Starting in 24. All right, so that's a... Um, Thanks should be a part of it. Good. Yes. He says, this is my body. Right? So that is, that is really important. What's the next statement? Oh, don't even go that far. Slow it down. What's the next thing? No, even before that, this is my body for you. Why is that important? Right? 
But communion, how's communion different than preaching? Right. So everybody in the body is to know that the, that the blood of Christ was for them. It's personal. And so this is why a lot of times with the elders, I'll try to say things like, you know, uh, the body of Christ, Benji, broken for you. Right? Because it is that personal to it. It's for you. Jesus personally gave this bread to his disciples. And he said to them, this is my body. So it's like a, it's a personal focus. You need to somehow explain what he means by the body of Christ. And then hope you were not wrong to think of it about Jesus' body and what it means to partake of that. Okay? It also means the body of Christ. But, um, but you need to think of it as for you personally. Right? Um, where is the, the place to go that if you want to understand what it means to feed on Christ's body and blood? John 6. Yeah, I know I'm not making some definitive argument that Jesus is trying to institute um, communion when he does John 6. But I do think Jesus is telling his, his, his followers that you have to feast on my physical death and shedding of my blood for you. That's what he's saying in John 6. You have to actually uh, take it down into you. A lot of times I'll use the phrase that Jesus will do you no good as long as he remains outside of you. You have to actually bring him into your heart so that he actually is, is uh, nourishing you. Now, how do, we, how do we bring Jesus into our heart? We don't just take the bread. We bring him in by what? What's always the means of union with Christ? Faith. That's right. So in this ceremony, in this sacrament, as you're thinking about the body and blood of Christ, and as you're partaking it, your, your brain should be going, faith, I'm trusting in Christ's death that it is being applied to me personally. Okay? Um, all right, so now it's for you. Do this in remembrance of me. What do you think it means, do this in remembrance of me? supposed to have a it's obvious you're supposed to physically remember it like a birthday and 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 you're engaging it so to when we say that god remembers us that means he's acting to actually in favor remember us right do fulfill his covenant promises to us so if you're remembering christ you're remembering that his death on the cross was sufficient to pay for all of your sins. That's what you're remembering. You're not just remembering the guy died 2,000 years ago. You're remembering that any blessing that you have from God is the product of Jesus' death on the cross and Jesus' death alone. There is no blessing that can come to you except through the death of Christ. This is why, what is it? Uh, there is a fountain filled with blood. You know, the fountain is Jesus' blood, right? I mean, that's the, the, the mindset. So you have to remember that or you're not taking uh, true communion. Um, <clears throat> all right, uh, keep going. Um, he took the cup. This is what? 
new covenant. So in some sense, you have to explain what the new covenant is. You think about how much theology you have to actually explain to help people understand the new covenant. Right? I have, hopefully after this class, I want to do a class on covenant theology. You know, leading us up to the new covenant to understand what it means, what the new covenant is. Now you can go to Ezekiel 36, that's very helpful. Jeremiah 31, other places. But trying to explain the new covenant and what that means. So anybody want to try... Why does he say, in my blood? The new covenant, in my blood. I've said this before as I've uh, given communion, but why does he say, in my blood? The new covenant, in my blood. All right, they were sealed with blood. Whose blood? Well, the covenants in general. It was a, some kind of lamb. And why would they kill the lamb and, and seal the covenant with blood? All right, did you hear that? To show you kill the lamb, you basically say, if you don't keep the covenant, what happened to this lamb will happen to you. Right. So, so, but in this one, and this is very important. So you you have a you have a stand-in, the lamb that you kill in advance. But then, if you fail to keep it, whose blood's going to be shed? Yours. Is that what he means by the new covenant? Oh, we shed Christ's blood. To show you that if you fail to keep this covenant, your blood's going to be shed. Is that what he did? Is that the new covenant? That doesn't sound right, does it? What he's basically saying is your blood is the, you, you failed, and therefore Christ's blood was shed instead of yours, and now you can walk with God in grace. So it's actually after you're already failing the, the covenant, instead of the, you know, Christ took your place as the lamb instead of you having to shed your blood because you failed the covenant. Christ has taken your, your blood, and now you're in a new covenant that is based upon his blood, not your own. Right? And so why do we proclaim the Lord's death? It's our salvation. So every time you take communion, you're basically saying, yeah, I've failed the covenant, but I'm trusting in the new covenant blood of Christ for me that I could have God's blessing. So these kind of things are very important. Could you imagine if, 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 um, if Paul just said, yeah, it doesn't really matter what you think of when you're taking communion. Just come on, take communion. You'll get a blessing just by coming in and taking the, the, the cup. You know, this is why I don't give Ginny communion. Can't understand that. You know, she would love to take the bread. But she wouldn't do it in faith. She wouldn't be recognizing the body of Christ. Right? 
Do I think Ginny's somehow separate from the body of Christ? I think she's in the body of Christ. That's why we baptized her. Okay? Um, but in this sense of communion, he expects you to actually hear this, receive it, and engage it in faith when you take communion. Those of you who come from a, a Baptist background and you have altar calls, communion is an altar call. Every time you take communion, it's an altar call. Not in the sense that you're always making your first initiation into Christ, like conversion, but it is, you know, and I, it's funny, I've been around Baptist churches enough that the, you don't have to just receive Christ for the first time. You can come down to the front the third, fourth, fifth time, right, to renew your faith. Well, that's what communion does all the time. It's a covenant renewal ceremony. And it actually is a form of testifying to the world your faith. All right, questions about this section of Scripture before we go to the last section. That, and just think of how weird that is. I'm proclaiming my life through the death of Christ. Mm-hmm. And I said that this is a sign and a seal. It is entirely, you, you can never make the ceremony the reality it's always a sign right the reality is faith in christ and union with christ that you have by the holy spirit uniting you to him that's the reality the communion is always a sign but it's a seal and a lot of people misunderstand seal Because they think that somehow by taking communion, they can make God's commitment to them stronger. Did you hear that? If I take communion, then somehow God's commitment to me is stronger. That is not what a seal means. The way that a seal works, it is taking God's finished work on the cross and it is, it is convincing your mind to the certainty of it. The one that it's sealing it to is your heart. So like if you were to see, uh, get a document in the mail and it has the, the presidential seal on it, that's communicating to you either that somebody's doing fraud or that, um, that, the, that this is not fraud, that this is actually true. And that's the way that communion is supposed to be a seal to you. Every time that you read the Bible, every time that you hear preaching, it is supposed to encourage you to have faith in Christ. Well, communion is actually taking everything 
about the core of the gospel, and it is saying to you, this is true. Jesus' words is telling you. He's, he's saying, this is my body for you. And it's supposed to seal it to your conscience such that you believe it more. Not that it's stronger. Not that somehow God says, oh, now they took communion, so I guess I will save them. It doesn't do anything that way. Faith in Christ alone is the reality. But communion is the sign that helps you to believe the reality. What I usually tell people, um, well, I'll, I'll pick, uh, let's see, Nathan Patton. He's a good one to choose. Um, do you believe that, that the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, that resides in you, and Jesus Christ is united to you? Yes. You ever doubt that? Describe what it means that the Holy Spirit is in you. Can you feel him? He might need a microphone. I didn't know he's going to go ahead. Yeah, keep going. No, that's good. So he's, so he's describing to me that the Holy Spirit, he feels him at times in his heart. Yeah. More? Go ahead and keep going. I'm just repeating what you just said. I'm setting <laughs> you, you up, Nathan. Go ahead. You're interrupting me now. Now I'm, now I'm done. okay nathan do you always feel that the most powerful being in the entire universe is dwelling in your soul oh no no i mean uh, (laughs) (laughs) i mean is there anyone more powerful than the holy spirit no there's not and and like logically i understand that i know this but but the 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 emotions that i have in the moment can often be stronger. They, they feel bigger, more overwhelming to me than the knowledge of who God is. Yes. Because God wants you to live by faith, Nathan, not by experience. If he, if he wanted to like jazz your soul 24-7 with the Holy Spirit, he could do it. He could. Every moment of your life could feel like this electrification of the Holy Spirit living in me. But I'm telling you, there's not one person in here that experiences that. And yet it's absolutely true that the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so Jesus says, I know that this is going to be hard for you to believe. What does he say? He that is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Do you always feel that way? I don't. And yet you're supposed to believe that. So when you take communion, you're not just believing that, you know, kind of logically this is true. Jesus is saying, as you take this symbol of bread into your body, I am, it's the same way, I am in you. Once that bread goes into your body, it gets dissolved. Do you know where it is, where the bread ends and you pick up? No, you're going to not believe that I'm with you anymore. What's the last thing he said before he went up into heaven? I will never leave you nor forsake you. How often do we feel like we're alone in the world? And communion is telling us that if you continue to cling to the death of Jesus Christ, he is in you and will never leave you nor forsake you. 
And that's what communion is. It's taking the message of the gospel that's preached and it's just giving it to you in a tangible way that you can feel. Right? You actually can taste the, the bread in your mouth. You can feel the, 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 the juice coming down your throat. That's how real Christ is. He's there in you. Go ahead, Nathan. It's, it's funny that you are teaching this this morning because it's so in line with the rest of the order for worship. Um, and it's also, I find a little ironic, you called on me to answer this question because of my call to worship this morning. I'm going to be calling you to think about the same thing. Uh, <laughs> uh, but it's really like it's, it's me speaking this to myself as well. Yeah. Um, and it's all about trusting in God. Our, our faith is in him. That's right. We haven't got to the examination part. We'll do that next week. Um, and what the preparation is for communion. But I think that you just have to believe at the very beginning that Jesus had a purpose for instituting this. this. And he looked at you as a person and he knew all that you would be facing in your struggles in life. All of the challenges, whether they be big political challenges or they be family challenges or personal soul challenges and he said yeah you know what you really need communion i mean you really need communion with me but you know what i'm gonna what i'm gonna use to help you remember communion with me union with me taking the sacrament see how valuable that is see how important that is it's not just something you can ah, throw it off do it not do it who cares not the way Jesus saw. He didn't even say preaching is what you need right here. It's a means of grace to your soul if it's done well. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, thank you for this time. And I do pray that we uh, continue on next week and kind of clear up uh, many of the what about this or what's this or how do we understand that because that's kind of in the end here. Um, but I pray that we would give thought to the grace that you want to give us as we partake of communion. And Lord, thank you for giving us this sacrament. In Jesus' name, amen.